Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior, to another Tactical Tuesday, a short-form conversation with subject matter experts designed to give you practical tools, tips, and advice for building your solar business or career. Now, many of you have probably listened Already to today's guest, Joe Tassone Jr. from episodes 232, where he talked about his journey from telecom to solar, episode 341, where he give, helps give an overview of the industry. Joe is one of my go-tos when it comes to getting the inside front lines conversation about what's happening in the world of project development. I wanted to bring Joe back because it's been a little while, about a year since he was first a guest on the show, and talk to him about what is happening in the world of solar project development in the United States, get his sense of how that front line is evolving, how his business above grid is evolving, and what you could learn from that. So I hope you will enjoy it. I'm really glad that you have decided to join us and level up your game. Remember, you can find these resources and learn more about today's guest and every other guest and recommendations from each show in the blog at mysuncast.com. And hey, while you're there, I'd love it if you'd remember to subscribe to the show in your podcast player, but also to our newsletter so that we can keep you up to date on all the fantastic things we've got going on in our world. You are Suncast Tribe. We do this to serve you. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior. Here we go with another powerful conversation on Suncast. All right, Solar Warriors, we're going to jump into this conversation with my friend Joe Tassone returning guest. If you listened to his episode back, episode 232, it was a fantastic insight into what it looks like to join the solar revolution from the telecom industry. Joe is one of my trusted advisors when it comes to understanding how solar projects get put together and developed. Uh, they've done a phenomenal job at Above Grid. They've got some great partners in partner engineering and uh, some great advisors. And Joe is a seminal professional when it comes to organizing information, being a good landman, and putting a good team together. So I thought we'd touch base again to talk about what he's saying and trends of solar development, how things have evolved over the last year since we chatted, and generally just to catch up. So Joe, good to have you back on the show, my friend. Thank you, Nico, uh, for the honor of joining again. It's a pleasure, always a pleasure to speak to you, and uh, congratulations on all your success. Joe, for those who maybe missed your interview back in 2020, episode 232, by the way, would you give us a quick insight or overview of why you decided to move into solar? Where, where, was, the, where was that spark of interest from your telecom experience? Sure. Being in wireless telecom for over 20 years and being a professional developer, it was around 2016. I was getting burned out in the industry, the telecom industry. I saw just some of the margins getting depleted and working for a captive audience, the four carriers. I brought on a consultant, company Corval, a rate company, and they just opened my eyes up to what else was out there. And one of the things they asked me to focus on or directed me to was renewables. 
and mainly solar development. And we originally, uh, interestingly enough, we're looking into doing construction in the solar industry because we had installers and on the, on the telecom side and civil team. And as they got into it, they realized the, the barriers of entry were too high for that and the different licenses you need. And took a step back and started talking to some of the larger developers in the industry. They liked what they saw in us. I liked what I saw in them. It's really development 101. I mean, there's a lot of nuances in the solar industry, like in any of them, that you have to learn. Yeah. And knowing I'm still learning, but the start is development, going out and getting projects, negotiations, the whole suite of services you need to get a site to NTP is almost identical to what it was in telecom. And I also saw the opportunity, and it reminded me a lot of wireless telecom when it started getting really uh, prolific back in the mid-90s. I would encourage folks to go back and listen to the other uh, episode we did with Joe because he goes really deep into his experience from telecom and the exact sort of the the path that he walked. We just condensed it very quickly, but that path that he walked gets into detail about how he did that market analysis, who he looked to for, for partners, how he began to build above grid. So I'd l- encourage you to go check that out as well. Joe, I'd like to ask if on the year plus now experience additional since our interview, if you have identified some of the core tools that you felt were really beneficial from your telecom days that you're using day in and day out on the you know, building a renewables business. Yeah, I would say the number one thing is the ability to strike conversations and tack with stakeholders, mainly property owners. I like to believe, and I, I, I should say I believe this passionately, is the most difficult thing to do in our business. And people may disagree. People will talk about, well, we need capital. Obviously, you need that. You need policy. Those are the, those are the things that are equal to everybody for the most part. You know, money's out there. The policies are the same for most companies. But getting with stakeholders and being able to generate good projects is the foundation to what we do. And it is the most challenging aspect of this industry to be able to find a project that fits into the incentive program, that fits into the substation or circuits, to be able to look at the zoning and vet it and taking it to NTP and the roller coaster ride from project start to actually getting a project built. It takes an incredible amount of diligence and discipline and also the ability to deal with people and doing this now and being involved in hundreds of megawatts of projects, I would say that the the tools that I've learned in a 20-year career uh, with very demanding clients and very demanding schedules and being able to build that level of trust and that customer service is probably the one, the biggest uh, synergistic tool or attribute uh, that I would say that transitions over to not just solar, but pretty much almost any industry especially project development. Well, you've had a chance to see the solar industry evolve quite a bit as we've started to reach scale. Prices are coming down uh, incredibly on all aspects from procurement to development costs and markets are starting to open up in new and creative ways. I'd love to get your insight on the front lines of how the solar development game has evolved over the last 18 months. What are the trends that you're seeing on the front lines and how is it impacting the growth for your business? Sure, I I would say there was a couple of answers to your question. And uh, we're seeing an emergence of more companies getting in the space, which is really good for developers. Uh, There seems to be a frenzy for good projects 
And that is the the, the change. I would say it's a, a huge change for it was 18 months ago or even a couple of years, but there's going to be more capital available and companies now that you have more funds out there, buyers, investors, utility companies. I mean, just think where we were a couple of years ago, some of the IPPs weren't even around yet. Uh, they were just being started and forming. Now they're in full gear. So there's companies out there that need to spend capital and get projects on their books. So we're going to, we're seeing more of the the capital entering the arena in earlier stages where even two years ago to get capital pre-NTP was almost unheard of. And now we're starting to see companies come in and actually being able to, hey, we want to partner with you as a developer because they know it's hard. They know they can't really do it themselves. So they're counting on companies like, you know, above grade and other others like us to be able to get good projects. And they're willing to take a, uh, a little bit more of a risk, calculated risk, I should say. So I, I use the analogy. I know we spoke to you about this before. I mean, I, I always look, think about the scene from the movie Perfect Storm where all the ships come in, all the boats, the fishing boats, so the docks and all the buyers are there and they're setting the market and they're buying the fish. Well, now, right now, there's less boats coming in and more people at the dock. So what are they going to do? They're going to start funding the boats and doing things like that to get an earlier jump on these projects. And one of the things I, the, the aspects I noticed getting into solar, it was different in tower development is, is the solar, I say buyers, funds, investors, they're happy spending tons of more money on transactions and closing costs at NTP or fully baked sites. I mean, I've seen companies throw 50 grand the day before closing to fix an issue that could have been avoided six months prior. But ask a company for a few thousand dollars for an analysis or, hey, fund some of this, these reports and they, they take a step back, like, what do, we can't do that. You know, it's too risky. And in the tower development world, developers go out and, you know, they're actually, I don't want to say getting a blank check, but there's just more money available because you understand the, the value of a project at the end of the day, a good project in a good state, with good incentives is worth uh, the risk. Now, there are developers and companies that get a two out of their skis and squander their money and their capital and spend a whole lot of money without a lot of projects to show at the end. And we see that happen all the time in, in the business, unfortunately. I wanted to define a couple of terms here because sometimes in the development game, it can be alphabet soup. So IPP is independent power provider or producer, and they're commonly known as the owners of assets. They're the folks that come in and buy projects when they are at uh, at or near, at least historically, NTP, which is notice to proceed. So in the construction process, there's greenfield development, uh, which is in the early stages. And a lot of that is self-funded by developers for the most part. And then projects get to... NTP, notice to proceed or ready to proceed, RTP. And then there's the construction phase of the project. A lot of IPPs historically have wanted to not get into projects until NTP or later. So the notice to proceed is kind of start engineering, get everything going. Ready to build is another kind of later phase. Can you kind of talk to me about something you just uh, brought up a little bit here I want to dig into, the trend that Capital is coming in at earlier stages, closer to Greenfield. And what does that say for the market for development, the market for the possibility of starting a business in developing solar energy? You know, to do one project, there's definitely, you know, you need capital to do anything in business. The scale it effectively, you need more capital. What it says about development is that when you start to see 
companies getting involved or wanting to partner up with with developers earlier on, there's there's a couple things why that a couple reasons why that's going on. One, there's a confidence, a greater confidence in the industry, and there's a trust that they're going to be there's going to be fruit at the end of the day in, in terms of a real project. And two, it's it's a competitive uh, landscape, meaning if we can get involved early. That means we have a lock on the project. There's more risk, but at the end of the day, they can get more projects. And if you look at going back to the industry I came from, the companies that were, you know, there's M&A, you know, there's mergers and acquisitions all the time, but a lot of it is organically built too, and you can control your own destiny. So companies that come in, the IPPs, funds, they're willing to take a little bit more risk. They're also partnering with quality, and I want to say quality companies. And uh, we take a lot of pride of what we do at Above Grid, and of course, myself leading leading the charge, is we we uh, look at ourselves as professional developers, and and being very judicious on the sites that we pick, and partnering up with the right partners. So our partners know when we have a project, nothing's a hundred percent guarantee until you get it built, right? But they they have the faith that through our experience and and the team that we have. So in a nutshell, Nico, to sum it all up. It just shows a more confidence in the industry and also that there's more potential owners out there who want to invest in the industry and they want more projects. Where do you see owners coming from today that are different from who were presenting themselves as IPPs or potential project owners uh, a year and a half ago? I would say you have, uh, I've seen uh, a few more companies enter the landscape from other countries. Uh, Canada, a uh, couple newer companies entered the last 18 months. The utility companies spreading their their wings a little bit more, where they were more geographically focused. Uh, there was a had a conversation with the utility company the other day, uh, an IPP uh, off branch of the utility company that I've never heard of them doing stuff in the Northeast, uh, for instance. So I would say there's a lot of the same players, but you're starting to see more branching out of some of the more geographically aligned you know you would think that if you're in the southwest you would used to seeing these companies around but now they're starting to venture into other parts of the uh, the united states and vice versa i'm hearing a lot of money coming in from oil and gas do you see that too not so much uh but i know it's out there i haven't directly been part of that but we you know we know that shell for instance has made some investments in the renewable space i haven't independently myself dealt with that but i know it's out there just from reading industry articles so if investment is coming in earlier in the development phase what risks do developers face if they take on these early investments essentially locking up their projects you mean from developers right not investors yeah, as developers. Speaking as, yeah for you what risk do you take uh, take investment early day early on there's pros and cons to each like to, well, to you're, you're gonna, you know, you're you're gonna as a developer, and uh, we we have a hybrid, right? We do things at different stages. Uh, it's not a one size fit all, but you know, just about getting involved early on. I'll just say this: when you have a site that's fully baked and ready to go, you can just more take it out to the market, right, and get a better. Uh, you might be, get a better, more competition. But we're also seeing that in, in all different stages of development. So I guess the risk is if there's a if you don't plan for upside and there's a change in the incentive program, you potentially could pigeonhole yourself. But usually that's not so much the case. Back in the day, you know, two, three, five years ago, development was carte blanche. There were lots of there was lots of available land. Are we seeing constraints on 
available land and even on the grid and interconnection that folks that, that you often have to sort of make folks aware of that the develop that is not readily apparent if you just look at it from the outside looking in? I would say the biggest constraint that we see, and, and I can speak especially in New York, is the the infrastructure where even three years ago, you could go out to parts of central New York, for instance, and have substations and circuits that had zero solar on it. Now it's almost unheard of. So you're getting into situations where you could look at it, you could have the greatest land in the zoning in the world, but you're just limited to what you can do because of the cost of the upgrades. And I would say that most companies would realize this, but you'll see sometimes companies come into the market and they'll be going, you know, submitting an interconnection application to the utility, which is a specific circuit and a specific substation. And there's already seven companies in front of them. Like we wouldn't waste our time with that because of just knowing by the time, you know, it's your turn, the upgrade is going to be cost prohibitive. As far as the land, land is still readily available, but you also, you know, you're really pigeonholed more by the the substation itself and the, and the utility infrastructure, especially in states that have had programs for seven, 10 years, there's a lot of saturation points. Massachusetts is, you know, they've had exciting solar incentive programs for a, over a decade now. And it's, uh, it's hard, very difficult to find an open substation or circuit that hasn't been, uh, I guess, touched for lack of a better word. Back in February, fellow solar warrior Ravi Mickelson revealed in episode 345 that the world's top banks funneled nearly $2 trillion into fossil fuels since the Paris Accord signing, despite their lip service towards climate and renewables. If that gets under your skin as much as it did mine, then let Ravi's fast-growing fintech banking platform, Atmos, help you align your purpose with your pocketbook, your cause with your cash. And you can know that it's never supporting interests or industries misaligned with your personal mission. Start your financial journey at joinatmos.com forward slash suncast. Hey, by now, I'm sure you've probably heard about our mission-minded program, getting your dream job in clean energy in 12 weeks. Our current cohort is giving us great feedback and kudos, I might add, as they go through the material and our coaching calls. You can see more about what this program looks like at suncast.vip. That's our brand spanking new webpage to talk about the mission-minded program. That's also where you can send friends, family, neighbors, colleagues that you know who might need a little extra help, a little guidance to find that dream job in clean energy. Our mission-minded program cohort is ongoing right now. We are taking a waiting list for our next cohort. I'd encourage you to do two things. One, send anyone you know that might be interested. Two, those of you who are so inclined, please go check out suncast.vip and email me, nico at mysuncast.com. It sounds to me like the barrier to entry in the market is still relatively low. And especially as you've got, and I've pointed out here on the show before, a ton of folks candidly losing their jobs in the oil and gas industry where they professionally trained land guys, not something we have in the solar industry yet. I would say that what you're pointing to is there's this weak link in the development process still that is a liability for IPPs. They're out looking for good professional development. If the barrier to entry is low, then how do we elevate the quality of projects that are coming into the market? 
Yeah, the barrier entry is it's it's low in the sense to have someone go out and and train them and to find a now we're talking about land, but you get into metro areas like New York, you're talking about a very sophisticated building owner and you're dealing with things like hospitals and institutions. It's 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 the major league. So you really need to know what you're doing. To get really good projects consistently, that's where the experience and professionalism comes in, comes into place. You know, how do you elevate the game? It's just really going and getting good people and doing the right things and really vetting out the marketplace and working with the local talent. I've, I've written articles on LinkedIn before and, and a couple publications, and I always go back to that. Development is a local game. Not to say that you can't come in from another state and, and do it successfully, but if you just try to do it alone without really relying on the experts in the market, and I've seen this done in, in telecom, I've seen it done in solar over and over. I've seen companies coming to New York City, a market that I know very well, and not use expediters to get building permits, for instance. So they're taking a two to three month process and they're wondering why a year later they still don't have their permit. I don't know why. It's just, it's to me, it's not rocket science. But when we go into a market or myself, the first thing I want to know is who's the best attorney? Who's done this the longest? Who do you use for engineering? Who's your local, uh, anybody who's a planner? Uh, knowing all those different disciplines and putting a team, we actually put a team together when we go into a market of professionals. We actually call it. I wanted to ask, and I think you're, you're, I think you're actually tapping into what you've explained to me in the past is this Sharps model, right? Yep. Explain to me your team building model and what you look for in a good partner and how that helps you scale. Yeah, we, we call it, I, I coined it strategically hiring and acquiring regional professionals. So we go into a, a market and, uh, you know, some markets like New Jersey, New York, where we lived and worked in there, where we know the players. But if we did go into a market, you know, talking to other people in the industry, lining up with good realtors sometimes, uh, or actually I want to say realtors, actually developers in the market. A lot of our business is drawn from relationships and uh, working with people that, that you work with an attorney, they know somebody. So really looking for partners is you want somebody who knows the local landscape, knows the jurisdictions well, worked in them, somebody who's done the, you know, if you're going from an engineer, you know, we have a, a partner above grid uh, that's an engineering company, but, you know, you also have to rely on local surveyors and, and people uh, that are in the actual field, uh, people that have done solar before or other uh, development. And uh, those are really the people that we look for. And we also like for folks to work together and, and not have these silos. So, you have a company that's working, you know, under surveying, they should be talking to your title attorney, going into zoning, who's your zoning attorney. So it's really putting a team together and uh, really looking at projects and, and spending a lot of time up front to vet a project, no matter what type of project it is. It's the old, you know, measure twice, cut once type of philosophy. Indeed. I can totally identify with that. I grew up on, uh, in a carpenter's house. So if you're capturing all this data, where are you saving it? How do you actually manage all this information? You know, we have our standard suite of, you know, different data rooms that we use and build. We have some good uh, software that we use in tracking tools. A lot of it is our own uh, tool that we use. Nothing, nothing fancy. And it's just really, you know, putting all this information in. And we have a very good intake process. So when we find a project, we 
really go through a, it's a, a couple page form with all sorts of maps and information. So we could all view it and the team looks at it. So we have a good process. Whatever company you're putting together really comes down to the four P's, people, product, process, and planning. Most companies fail at the last two. So if you don't have the first two, you're not going to get out of the door. Having a good process that you could replicate over and over, and it's nimble enough to change when you need to change. I love that. The four P's, people, product, process, and planning. We could probably do an entire uh, episode. Yeah, it's just- not mine. I actually wrote an article on it, uh, Marcus uh, Leonis of The Profit one time, I said in it. Yeah, absolutely. You also similarly introduced me to uh, another business person and author, John DeJulius, who's a fanatic for customer service as you are. Your passing for customer service has helped, has helped you think through that customer relationship management aspect of the business. I think it's one of the things that differentiates you as well. What, uh, what's one of your favorite uh, models or tomes, uh, sort of the, the, one of the things that you share with folks the most from DeJulius? Yeah, that's, uh, he's a great, great guy. And it, just to further expand on John, uh, because he's a mentor of mine and I, I help him out when I can on coaching and the customer service field. It's just really the customer service. And this is his whole career is based on this. He's done work for Starbucks and, and Nestle and some big, big, some of the biggest companies in the world is that it's his whole goal is to make price irrelevant. Meaning if you look at your own life and you look at your everyday experiences, you know, when you go to your favorite restaurant, you're going there and go, I only go there because, wow, they have the cheapest tacos. No, it's probably because of the quality and also the service. And customer service across the board, we lack it in our society. And, and quite honestly, and let's look at ourselves in, in the solar business, customer service, we lack it. And I mentioned this in my uh, last podcast, and I've spoken to many landowners, hundreds over the last couple of years, where they've dealt with other companies or even some folks that I've worked for. And it's like, you know, we, we do this deal. I can't get anyone to call me back. I, I no, one, no one shows up to my property. No one's keeping me informed. And then they really feel, and this isn't everybody, but they really feel like they're uh, not, not part of the process. And there's a lot of hurry up and wait in the development process where you can go months without really any action. And then it's crazy where you need seven signs form, uh, seven you know, form signed, I should say. That's why it's so important to build those relationships up with the stakeholders. And I also see it not only from working with stakeholders, but also companies. Uh, I mean, I like to view our, our vendors and our subcontractors that we use as partners. And it's my job as a leader is to, is to not only to my customers, but also for the people that do work for me. If I'm not getting back to one of my, an engineering company, because they need an answer for me or direction that I'm feeling. And, you know, this whole, attitude, well, I'm really busy. I couldn't do it. You know, as a leader of an organization, as a manager, your, your job is really serving. And we miss that a lot, right? We always think, hey, we're serving my boss, we're serving the customer, which is all important. We're really serving everybody that's involved there. And the more effective that you can do that, the more successful you're going to be. And we spend so much time on on beating everybody up on, on you know, pricing. And that's important. It's just it's this, mar- you know, margins are still tight in some areas. But you will win more by providing the exceptional service. If you're there providing service, people will, within reason, overlook price a lot of times. You know, the best companies that I've worked with in my life, I didn't really question their pricing so much. Every so often you do, but I knew that they were going to deliver it. And time is money, right? I mean, I mean, when you can, you know, we, we think sometimes, okay, yeah, I, 
I saved $500 here. And again, I'm not saying that's not important. Money is important. But if it's taking someone three weeks more to get that to you, or they're not giving you the service that you need, that's costing money every day, every second that that solar project is not producing electricity and revenue. Those costs, the, that money is is way more than the $1,000 or the $500 you might save you know, early in the process. Yeah, we say here in every episode, time is the only non-renewable resource you possess. And thank you for you know, giving us that time. I actually just wrote an article on LinkedIn uh, a couple of days ago, the value of time, Nico. Oh, fantastic. We'll be sure to link to it as right. well. I had a mentor who said he would start a conversation. He'd say, finish the sentence, time is, and I would like every other lemming would say money. And he's like, no, time is everything. Time is everything. Another mentor said, time kills all deals, right? I'll never forget that. Time kills mm -hmm. all deals. Time is everything. If you can save a minute, if you can save a, a day, then it's worth considering. Uh, you know, you said something that uh, I want to come back to because I try to put my hat on of someone who's maybe exploring, trying to get into this business. When we find a project, you said, when we find a project and then you sort of rattle off a few things, can you distinguish the difference between tip of the spear, like identifying properties and doing the land stuff and packaging a project itself? Because when you said, when we find a project, it suggests to me that folks are bringing ideas for projects to you versus you going out and trying to actively find, you know, property owners or whatnot. Yeah, it's, it's actually a good question. And, and projects come in all different uh, ways. Uh, we've, we've have relationships with other individuals that bring us projects and uh, it could even be a, a, a real estate development firm or a, a friend whoever and uh, people do bring us projects we actually get calls all the time from a farmer let's say who might have known and hey you know i have land too you know most of those strike out because they've for some reason they don't you know, never seem to land in the right spot but a lot of the work we do is origination, you know, going out and looking at areas, um, identifying whether you're, um, you know, in a metro area where you're looking for large warehouses with big rooftops and uh, big parking lots for parking canopies. Uh, I'm curious, how do you market that you're looking for projects in a specific region? Is there like a solar version of that, that road sign that you see this as we buy houses? No, I, I people might disagree with this, but I, I feel this is a very targeted approach uh, it's really zeroing in and, and doing campaigns in areas where, you know, if there's a good circuit, a good substation, a good market, keying on properties and literally calling up the property owner sometimes, sending a letter, identifying things that are going to work. Uh, I, I just find that is much more effective than throwing out a big fishnet and, and seeing what sticks. You got to really... Uh, you know, use your time appropriately and your bandwidth, but uh, it's more of a, strate a strategic approach versus, uh, you know, shoot from the hip. Yeah. You mentioned finding circuits. I'll tell you, um, I mean, for the layperson, this is something that feels almost impossible. My grandfather, uh, passed down a piece of property in rural South Carolina. I know that South Carolina is booming. I want to try and see if it makes sense to put solar there. I'm smart enough to know, like I need to check the, the, the circuit. I reached out to uh, a handful of folks that I know are developers and not one of them has been able to come back to me and say, here's how you can do it yourself or have they, nor have had they had the time to kind of do it for me to see if that property works. Like, are there tools that, that you'd be willing to speak about? Because I know some of this is uh, at least trade secrets, but are there ways that 
you would encourage folks if they're looking at how to get into this game that like you have to start thinking about property differently or you start thinking about zoning and regions differently? Yes, there are tools out there, several companies that have different tools or some of them are quite expensive. In states like New York, for instance, New Jersey, they have good what's called hosting capacity maps is public information where you can literally zero in on a particular circuit and it'll tell you if it's three phase, what you need to do solar and some other attributes of the system. Those are valuable. That's like finding if you have a state that has that information and uh, coincidentally enough, uh, ironically enough, uh, Massachusetts doesn't, for instance. So that just saves a lot of time. Now, I, I can't speak for South Carolina. I don't believe they have that level. I could be wrong. Someone might say that I'm wrong. But uh, it makes it a little bit more difficult to find the information you need. And it's a little bit more risky, you know, in sense of uh, moving forward. Sometimes you don't find out what you need until you're actually in the application process with the utility. But there are tools out there. And, and that is a that takes time. It's when I got into this industry, that's something you don't have to contend, I would argue, with almost any other development. If you're building a small apartment building or a cell tower, you know, a waffle house, I mean, you, as long as you got a pole outside, you're pretty much golden. Uh, but you could have the best piece of land, the best zoning, all the other attributes for a good solar system. But if the utility does not allow you to connect, or they'll always try to, you know, well, you allow connect, but it, it costs or could be so expensive that it doesn't pencil and you have to leave. Yeah, it's kind of the, it's like the real estate equivalent of not having water rights, right? Of not having water access. Yes, exactly. I know people have done residential developments and fought for three years to get water to, uh, uh, issues with wells or whatever to bring it in. Exactly. Well, the market's booming in many respects, and especially under the Biden administration, a lot of tailwind for the industry. How are you preparing for this influx of capital? And I guess in the same vein, where do you wish you had more partners? First question, how we're preparing for it, just being in the markets that are attractive and have good incentives or they're on the verge of having good uh, good incentives, really. Because I always go back when, when I talk to people that aren't familiar with the industry and, and the first thing they'll say is, oh, Florida, you must be all over that. Puerto Rico, you know. Yeah, great sun, but Maine, historically, the last couple of years, probably more lucrative to develop than some of the southern states, right? So yeah. Can you explain why for those who don't understand that? Uh, because it's really it's really the incentive of the state, the state program. I mean, you have a federal tax incentive right now, the, the ITC tax credit, which is stable at 26%, and there's talks that it might go back up. We'll, we'll wait and see. But really, the most important determination of, of a good solar market is what the state incentive is. New York has built several gigawatts of projects the last couple of years. Massachusetts, they had a smart program. Those states, uh, there's a bunch of other ones. California, actually California is not so much the program. It's their, their price of electricity that drives people to that state. So it's really the state incentive. And you've seen that where a state makes a change in the program and all of a sudden they go from having hardly any solar three years later they have more solar, you know, a couple of gigawatts of, uh, of, of projects. So it's really the state incentive. But we both know that any developer worth his salt is looking ahead of what exists, some uh, publicly available website where incentives have been published, and they're mm -hmm. looking to markets where incentives are about to be announced. How have you been able to track that? Is there, like, what kind of insight can you share there? Yeah, it's just really paying attention to the industry and uh, subscribing to 
even if something is as LinkedIn and all the different industry associations, there's news, you know, having good partners that bring you information. Uh, I sit on, for instance, uh, the Mid-Atlantic Learn Storage Industry Association Board. I get good policy updates from that. So it's really having your finger on the pulse and reading and keeping up with it and uh, following the legislation. And it's just being, you're, you're absolutely right. You want to be, you want to be early and, uh, but you don't want to be too early. You know, if you get into a market and they're three or four years away from a program and you're just rolling the dice, you know, you're going to probably sit and wait for a while. Maybe you're going to spend some money. It never comes from place. But you certainly don't want to be, you know, a year later than, you know, when the, well, actually there are states that have incentive programs that have been going on for years and years and years and there's still new projects. But yeah, if you can get there early and lock up land buildings or other properties, you're going to be in a good position. For sure. Are you willing to answer the question, where do you wish you had more partners? Maybe we've got folks that are out there that can help. I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's getting really good people. A lot, a lot of this work is done. You know, you could do it remotely, but it's really finding the the right people that are willing to work hard and have a good sense of, you know, how to get things done at the end of the day. I mean, experience is great. Don't get me wrong, but I find that, uh, I've, I've just managing over hundreds of people over my career. I've had people come in at all the experience in the world, but they didn't have the right attitude. And I've had people that just come right out of college and end up being rock stars just because they're willing to learn and they're hungry and they uh, have a really good, keen sense of how to deal with people. We're going to have to create, a, I, I get reach, outreach from folks in the oil and gas industry all the time that are looking for help. We're going to have to create something to help them, Joe. <laughs> we got yeah, no, and, and I have some people that I know and I've actually directed one or two to you, you know, and I know you have a, an initiative of working with people in transitions uh, that came from the telecom industry. It's just getting those type of uh, people having to learn some of the, the, the lingo and the nuances of, of our industry. It, it's mm -hmm. not, a, I've done it. It's not a very difficult transition. Well, what are, uh, sort of maybe a, a final note here, what are some of those core skills that you feel you have to develop in order to achieve, to achieve relevance in the role of project developer for solar that maybe folks in telecom or oil and gas, uh, those two niches in particular are looking at land, you know, land development for solar as an, as a vital option. What are some of the core skills that you feel are non-obvious, but you got to figure out beyond just figuring out how to identify grid capacity? Just a, a core skill is just the understanding of property. Uh, I know that's a very uh, catch-all term when I say that, but understanding the the skill of being able to look at something and have the the vision in your head and what it's going to look like and what do you need, the steps you need to do to get the project to fruition. I don't know how I, I boil it down to an actual skill, but uh, having good attention to detail, being be able to communicate. If someone has a skill of uh, reading maps, believe it or not, and being able to to look at multiple different sources of information in, in the computer and today's technology versus when I started 25 years ago, it's come a, a long way. I mean, I remember when I started, it was li literally the old wrinkled maps and putting them all aside of one another. And But now you can just do this stuff right now electronically and using all the tools that are available. Fantastic. Well, Joe, I know that there are going to be folks that have a lot more questions than I have time to answer here with you today. How do you uh, like for folks to engage with you? Is LinkedIn the best place to find yeah, you? Yeah, LinkedIn is the the best way. It's just my name, I think it's Joseph Tassone Jr., you know, above grid. You can find me both uh, those ways on LinkedIn. That's the easiest way to connect. 
I'm on it all the time. And I, I like LinkedIn. It's a great, great uh, source of information and also sharing information. Well, Joe, as we part, I'd love if you could let me uh, in on your insights and the market expansion opportunities that exist. What segment of the solar market do you expect to develop at a faster clip in the coming 18 months? It could be community solar or solar plus battery storage. I'm curious what your thoughts on it. If you have a specific vertical is growing. Three areas I see that are going to be uh, leaps and bounds uh, forward in the next 18 months, two years, 36 months. Uh, definitely battery, definitely storage. Just three or four years ago, I mean, it was very, uh, you very rarely saw batteries. You know, they started pairing batteries with solar. I've been part of a couple standalone battery projects. So you're going to see more energy storage solutions come into play and more, you know, the pricing has come down and companies to be much more understanding of, of how the technology is used and, and really how, how one can monetize the technology. And you're starting to see programs in states like New York a couple of years ago as a, uh, through NYSERDA standalone project uh, program. California is heavily, they're always on the forefront of, of renewables. They have some good programs right now. So you're going to see more of a explosion in that um, vertical, uh, virtual ba battery plants, uh, storage plants. Uh, the second thing is community solar. More and more states are adopting community solar legislation. You just saw uh, New Mexico announced a program a few months ago. Uh, there's a bill pending right now in Pennsylvania, uh, New Jersey every year. They seem to be increasing their, their programs. So I, you're going to see more and more community solar. This is really... It's really the fastest way, I believe, to get to a critical scale in the, in the state to meet their their uh, renewable goals. Uh, utility scale solar, that's there. I, we see a boom of it in New York right now. With all that said, there's I think they just broke ground on the first utility scale project. So that I read the, uh, today actually. So you're going to start to see that. And in another portion, and this doesn't really go under what we do or renewables, but it is really EV charging. I think that's going to be one of the fastest growing uh, sectors in the United States. I mean, they're predicting a, a hockey stick curve in the next five years, and you're going to need, that's going to affect solar and renewables because the grid can only handle so much. You know, we're seeing car dealerships now being mandated to put it in, uh, California, new construction, uh, NYSERDA has a big program in New York. So you're going to see a, a definitely that it's going to be very prolific. Yeah. And actually EV charging is an area where there aren't enough developers because it turns out to put, you know, like a Tesla supercharger as one example, but there are many other companies trying to do what Tesla has done. You have to develop the real estate. You have to develop the interconnection point because it's massive, massive draw of power from the grid to supply these electric mm -hmm. chargers and the kind of amps and voltages that are required there. So I think that's actually really insightful. And it's something that is not obvious for folks that are trying to think about how can they leverage their skills of you know, tangential markets where, where they've been able to develop different types of projects. That's one area to to keep your eye out. Well, folks, it's always a pleasure to get my friend Joe Tasson from Above Grid over on Suncast. Joe, I love dipping into the well of knowledge that you provide. Thank you for joining us back here on Suncast. Nico, thank you very much. It's been a great hour, half hour. But thank you very, very, very much for the opportunity to do it. And anyone, uh, I'm always open to talk to people connect with people. I love uh, helping others. And uh, if anyone has any questions, feel free to, to link up with me. All right. Well, that's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warrior, but the fun doesn't stop here. I hope that you will keep going 
and listening to other episodes on Suncast. I'd also love it if you would take some time out of your busy day next time you're on LinkedIn and look up Joe and I. Give us a thumbs up on whatever post we've posted here about this episode. And I'd love it if you just share in the comments or even share the episode itself in LinkedIn, the takeaways that you got from this conversation with Joe and I. What are you up to in the world of project development? You know, I've had a lot of folks ask me if I can help them in one way or the other from understanding project development to helping them sell projects. So if that is you and you're curious about how we might be able to partner together, I do have a pretty vast array of contacts as you might suspect. So feel free to reach out to me, Nico at mysuncast.com. You could also go even just fill out the coaching application on our website, mysungas.com. Click on coaching. That'll give you 15 minutes with me. You can fortuitously take 15 minutes of my time and we get to know each other and I can see how I can help you. It might be possible that I will. A final special thank you to our team and our sponsors who help make this podcast possible for you for free. Learn more about all our sponsors at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. That's also how you can find ways that you could potentially benefit from not only offers, demos, and other cool benefits from our partners, but how you can share your message with the thousands of Suncast listeners out there. Remember, you are what you listen to. So thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. <laughs>